Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning we're going to continue on with the story. And we are going to be looking in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And as we're going to continue through this passage, we're going to hit some other passages in John as well and such. Uh, but the big question of the day is still, so how, how do we get there? Or how did we get there? You know, maps, maps are a wonderful thing. Uh, it's a tool that helps us to navigate from point A to point B and Um, Now people just use their GPS or maybe on their cell phone and we can find our direction with a map and get to the place we want to go. But really those things are just fancy maps, right? Uh, Most of the time we use a good map or computer program to find our way on the trips we take. So uh, if you want to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, likely you're going to make a plan how to get there. If you don't, you may end up somewhere else. Uh, I used to live there some years back, and so I've been there quite a few times, and, and it's uh, possible to take a few routes to get to Tulsa. And uh, it's just a straight shot. If you take 75 highway, you can run 75 down and make it to Tulsa with no problem. If you wanted to, you can go to Dallas with that, too. So, I mean, you can keep going. You better stop if you want to stop there. So, there's other ways you could take uh, 59 Highway over through uh, uh, Lawrence and, and head down there and finally hit 169 that's going to take you down to Tulsa. I guess if you were in Kansas City, you could hit the interstate system and run down. That's a long ways from here, though. So, uh, But anyway, there's a, quite a few ways you can do that. One time I was coming back up to northeast Kansas on 75 from Tulsa, and they had been back in the 1990s, they had started uh, changing the highway and expanding it, made it wider and, and kind of bypassed some of the smaller towns. And I'm headed back up and I get down to the southern part of Kansas and I hit that area between Wichita and Pittsburgh area and they build a new highway there, right? It's like 400 or something like that. So they weren't done with it at the time and the signs weren't all there. So as I'm driving up north and coming this way, uh, I was looking, and I'm like, well, where's the signs now? Because I've been on this many times, but I don't see the direction. And so before I knew it, I was headed to Pittsburgh. Well, anyway, I finally figured it out where I was going and, and made it around and got back home. But they had rerouted it on us. So I was lost, had to find my way back. But today we're going to uh, put together a map from the Scripture to find our way from David to Jesus. We all have questions that we hope can be answered in a reasonable way, but this morning we're going to work on this question, how did we get here when it comes to Jesus and the resurrection? We're going to touch on a few highlights here in the Old Testament and in the New Testament uh, to move us closer to Christ, and the story we're looking at today is significant, it's relevant to us uh, for everyone who is on the journey of faith. King David received a promise from God that led us to Christ. Uh, yet, uh, he's, uh, it's going to help us tell this story. Over in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God said to King David these words. He said, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne 
will be established forever. Only Christ, only the promised Messiah can fulfill the eternal kingdom. And with his kingdom comes redemption for all of those who will put their trust in him. And we can celebrate that today. But let's start out with the prophet Isaiah as we see him here in Isaiah 52 verse 7 say something key to us as he tells of Christ to come. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah's, Isaiah chapter 53 and 52 are really some pro, uh, powerful prophetic words that are crafted by the hand of God himself. These were not only uh, messages of comfort to God's people during the time of Isaiah the prophet, but they were significant chapters telling of uh, the Messiah who is yet to come. Isaiah was speaking of Israel's future deliverance. And Jesus was not just a preacher or just a proclaimer of the good news, but he was the good news himself. Isaiah says the one who brings good news has beautiful feet. Typically in our day, if we think about, I don't know, I don't really think about beautiful feet. I don't think about, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm sure back at that time when they were walking through the dirt in their sandals and stuff, their feet probably looked pretty dirty. And I'm sure if we were doing that, going to work or going somewhere, our feet would probably be pretty dirty. But aside from the, if they're not bringing good news, they just stay dirty. But if they're bringing good news, hey, they look good, don't they? They look beautiful at that point. And we see Christ coming along and him bringing the good news, being the good news personified. We have something to celebrate. Now in the same chapter, we find something alarming as Isaiah speaks about Christ. At first, he's telling about these feet, but by the time we get to chapter 52, verses 13, 14, and 15, we find some changes. He says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Isaiah seems to start out well as he speaks of the Messiah who is acting wisely, who is stepping onto the scene. He also talks about him being raised and lifted up uh, and exalted. But here we can see that we could take that really a couple different ways as we look at this passage because we find Jesus who is... Uh, lifted up and is set at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. On the other hand, we find that he was lifted up on the cross for us. And that's important. Isaiah is sharing a word with us and showing us who Christ was going to be like. And he also shows that, that many were appalled at him, that he would be disfigured. He speaks of him like he wouldn't even end up looking like a person. Isaiah's wording was an introduction of what would happen to the Christ who is full of grace and truth. Isaiah's prophetic word about Jesus did not end over in chapter 52. If you jump over into chapter 53, there in verse 1 to 3, uh, it says this, 
Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So the prophet keeps on with his message. He had no beauty or majesty to uh, attract us to him. Yet it seems that God is really making a point here that uh, the Messiah would look just like the average person to some level. Yet even though he may have seemed average on the outside, he could relate to us because he was a person of suffering and he was familiar with our pain. Maybe somewhat like some of those kids that Rhonda talked about. Jesus not only suffered and felt the pain on the cross, but as he, he humbled himself to become a man, it placed him in a condition that caused general difficulties in his life. If you think, think God doesn't understand your pain, remember that Christ knows. He can empathize with you. He can relate to you. Some of the best comfort that we can get uh, or give to another person is when we've been through the same thing that they've been through or something similar. Uh, you may have been betrayed by a good friend and have struggled to find a place of healing. Then somebody comes along to encourage you and you find out they were betrayed as well and now they're on the other side of healing and their life is restored and they can keep moving on. They encourage you and they say, you can make it. If I can make it, you can make it through that. But at a higher place, Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by one of his 12 disciples who betrayed him at the cost of his own life. He was, he was close to Jesus. He was his minister of finance. Yeah, we can look over here in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 to 7, and it tells us this. Isaiah continues speaking. He said, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. So we find that Isaiah lays it out plain, centuries before the birth of Christ, as pain-filled that, that this passage is for the Messiah, it is equally redeeming and healing to our lives. And that's a wonderful thing. It's equally hope-filled for us. He is going to take the pain for us so that we would have peace, yet we give that to him daily by faith, don't we? Now let's shift gears here a little bit from the prophetic of the Old Testament uh, to the New Testament, how God spoke in the Old Testament to lead us to Christ, to point us towards Him. But we have to keep on going on this map of the Scripture and work through this story. 
The story takes us to somebody who's a little bit unusual. We find this guy out there in the desert eating locust beans. Most of us don't eat locust beans, and I guess unless you eat cottage cheese. Oh, that's an ingredient, by the way. Anyway, John chapter 1, verse 6 says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John, John the Baptist now introduces, here in the New Testament era, he introduces the Christ to everyone. John the Baptist was not one of Jesus' disciples, but he was a witness of Christ. And God uses this man to reveal who Christ really was when he stepped out on the scene to be able to see, serve the community. Some of the religious leaders of John's day were trying to figure out who John was. And so we find this over in John chapter 1, verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize uh, if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He said, I baptized with water but among you stands one you do not know he is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie so John revealed his humble status to the Pharisees he wasn't out to get a title get a name for himself he was a man of humble means and he knew his place he knew his purpose in this life and John wouldn't even call himself a prophet, even though uh, he was. It's apparent that Jesus saw him in that way. He saw himself like a person who simply ran out in front of a motorcade who's carrying the king and, and, or the town crier yelling, Watch out, get, in the way, get out of the way, somebody important is coming through. You know, we, we're here in Topeka, and since we're here, we, I'm sure you've seen a few motorcades, and... And I've seen a few myself, and sometimes they're different here than they are in different parts of the world. And usually the Secret Service or some kind of uh, security cars go out in front of them, and, and uh, the police motorcycles will block the way, and there's those coming out in, in the front, and they're like trying to move us, may have their lights on, they may put a siren on if you get in their way and try to get you out of there. And, and so they're trying to bring this person through that they're supposed to, and and uh, they're, they're, these guys, are they're not the VIP, are they? They're just going through to get people out of the way so that the VIP can make it through. They're the, just the town criers. The important one is riding in the bulletproof limo in the back, right? Well, Jesus didn't ride in a bulletproof limo. John the Baptist knew his place. He knew his place. He was just pointing people to Jesus, the one with the message, we need to be like John the Baptist. We should be like him, be a person who points others to Christ. It's not about us. It's not about who we are. 
uh, but it's about Christ. It's about Him. We should be those who are being a testimony to the light. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 29 to 34. It says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now that's a little confusing. Right here, John the Baptist is what, maybe six months older or so? Well, we're talking about the Ancient of Days here. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John was direct. He said, the reason I came baptizing was that he might be revealed. He is there standing before the Lord to let other people know who he was. He knew that Israel needed the Lord more than ever at this point. It was time. But about 30 years before this, approximately, we find Simeon. There in the New Testament, over in Luke chapter 2, we find Simeon, this devout man who served the Lord. And uh, it says in verse 26 to 30 there in Luke, it's not up here on the screen for you, but it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This is an exciting passage to me. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have, you, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's like, I can die now, God. I've seen the Son of Man. I've seen the Deliverer. So what Simeon knew nearly 30 years before John the Baptist is now, re now reveals as Jesus coming to the start of his earthly ministry. Verse 32 of John 1 says this, And John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Amazing. So we see that the map has been slowly written. We're finding the twists, the turns, and even the straightaways in the story that's going to take us from David to Christ. But now let's look at this third and final area. Christ is revealed in front of three disciples. Now, they knew Jesus. He had already called the 12 disciples. They had been working with him, and they had seen the miracles. They had walked with him. They had seen amazing things that God had done through his son, Jesus. But now we find them up on the Mount of Transfiguration over in Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, we find it here. It says, And he said to them, Jesus speaking to them, I Truly I tell you, some of you are are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. What a wonderful promise. 
After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Jesus' inner circle, the disciples, took off, headed up the mountain with him to spend time with the Father. It wasn't uncommon for Jesus to break away for a while and spend time in prayer with the Heavenly Father. Uh, sometimes he would take them, the disciples, sometimes he didn't. But at this point, we find him taking uh, these three lead disciples that he needed with him. And so now in this open vision before them, Peter, James, and John are, are seeing not only Jesus transformed, but also these two prophets, Elijah and Moses. I'm not sure about you, but I think at that point I'd be stunned. Uh, I would be shocked a little bit. And it's apparent that these disciples were as well. Uh, you have to look at what he says in the next verse here in verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Uh, look at this next part in verse 6. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Uh, I'm sure he was shaking in his boots. He was probably wondering, what in the world are we going to do here? <laughs> then in verse 7, he comes along and says, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, Peter always had something to say. It seems like it, and that day was no different. He was so anxious about the ordeal that he asked if he should set up tents for the, for the three of them. And the significant part was that God the Father spoke at that point and gave Peter, James, and John some orders reminding them of who Jesus was, that it was his son, that he loves him, and they need to listen to him. Open your ears, pay attention to what he has to say. Now, it's not like they hadn't been listened to him before, right? They were his disciples. But God's making some things very straight, very plain to them. He was speaking, and he wanted them to understand that they could not take his words lightly. The Father would likely tell us the same thing today. Jesus is my son, so listen to him. We realize he's the word of God. Jesus is the word, and you and I have to take these words to heart. On the last half of Jesus' earthly ministry, we find Jesus after his, this open vision advising his disciples not to tell anyone what they saw until he had risen from the dead. Now, verse 10 there said, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I'm sure they were just a little bit confused at this point, but they did believe in the resurrection like the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees looked for the day when the 
present evil, evil age would be dissolved and the glorious kingdom of righteousness for a righteous Israel would come. They were expecting the resurrection. But Jesus was playing with his disciples that the kingdom of God was at hand. They had seen it on the Mount of Transfiguration there. They had come face to face with the living God in so many words. But just a chapter back, we find that Jesus had already warned them. He had already warned his disciples that he was going to die. He was going to pay the ultimate price. And in fact, Peter's like, no way, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And the Lord rebuked him, didn't he? In Mark 9, Jesus and his kingdom was revealed in power. At this point, the disciples saw it must have, they must have acted stronger in faith than they ever had acted. We must act stronger in faith than we ever have at this point in our lives. We live in a challenging world, a challenging society, but we also know that we serve a, the one true living God who can meet the challenge of every day that we face. Whether it's pain, whether it's trouble, whether it's difficulty, whether it's good times, we know He's with us as long as we will put our faith and our trust in Him, the Messiah. He is able. Yeah, we could be like the other disciples, and really in some ways we are, yeah. But uh, Matthew and Thomas and the others, they, they had followed at another level of faith. They weren't there at the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John on the mountain. But they had saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They, they had seen when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the, de the ears of the deaf. They saw all that. They had another level of faith. But I think that Peter, James, and John were so firm in their faith because they saw the kingdom as they did. If our worship team would come this morning, I hope... But today, for you that with this map, as we've kind of put some of it together, that you can answer the question, how did we get here? How do we get to Jesus at this point, at this step? Today, as we wrap up this portion of the story, looking from David to Jesus, we can have hope. We can have true and honest hope. You may not have had the opportunity to see Jesus and the prophets on the mountain like Peter, but maybe something like Matthew and Thomas, you can place your faith in Christ. There were other opportunities for them to see the kingdom of God, and maybe you have seen the kingdom of God in some major ways. Maybe you've seen somebody whose life was totally broken, and it looked like they could never amount to anything. And you saw God step into their life and pick them up and set them free. Think of a story that I read about a pastor in the Pentecostal Evangel here a while back and how they're, uh, they're, he was uh, the man and wife, they were pastors, and uh, their son was on drugs and had just been broken in a life of addiction. And at one point, that guy, him and his girlfriend got got caught with a load of drugs in their car and they and the police stop, stopped him and they got arrested and he's like well he had been dealing with this for years and finally their son as he was uh, facing these charges he cried out to God he said well God 
people say you're there. So if you're there, I really need your help. And God showed up on the scene. In fact, his girlfriend was pregnant with the child. And, and because of all this that was taking place with them being in jail, they finally, she, uh, they were bailed. They, they, got, uh, they had to go to the hospital and have the child. And, and then here's that child and suffering and the, wouldn't even respond. So he's in NQ, you know, at the top level ICU for children, and and uh, this uh, this child hadn't opened his eyes or anything, and but this young man had finally given his life to the Lord, and he said, "Let's pray." So his mom and dad, there were pastors, were there. They didn't know what to think about the situation because they had seen his life. They knew what his life was like. They all joined hands and they prayed, and after they finished praying boy's eyes, this baby's eyes went open. He had never done that before. Then the next thing they know, the alarms start all going off in the NICU. And then once from, at that point, then the doctors and nurses start rushing in uh, only to find this child is responding. A miracle had taken place. And the doctors later told the man, he said, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And uh, 12 years later, that child, after going through checks and tests and making sure he's okay, is still okay. Born addicted. He would, the child was born addicted, but was freed and delivered. If you want to look at it, you can look at it on the Pentecostal Evangel. You can find it, I'm sure, online, the story. But amazing thing that God did for that baby and for that man. And that man, after he given his life to the Lord Completely, he's serving as a pastor and ministering the word of God to others. You may say, I don't know if God can do anything in my life or another this other person's life. Let me tell you, friends, he can. He's available. And he's here with us today. Would you stand with me this morning? My question to you today is what are you going to do with the story of the resurrection? Will you take it as part of your life and will you be a witness of this redemption and will you point others to Jesus? That's what, that's what John the Baptist did. Will you be a testimony of the light and tell others, hey, Christ will give you life. He will give you hope. Friends, there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is hope in Him. We have to give Him a chance. He will be glad to meet you this morning. So our prayer teams are coming down this morning. Our worship team is going to lead us in a worship song. You may have a need physically. You may need some healing in your life. You may be uh, facing some challenge or you just may want to thank God with somebody else. There's going to be some uh, altar counselors here to pray with you and to seek the Lord with you. Come before the Lord this morning and allow Him to work in your life of Christ.